Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Indians 6, the White Sox 5. And it actually means that the Indians have at least split this series against the White Sox. And uh, they have a chance today to win this four-game set. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And before we get into that, I asked you yesterday to all our international listeners, you know, what is your connection to Cleveland? How did you end up being Cleveland Indians fans to the point where you found my small little indie podcast? Well, uh, a friend of the show, Steve Kelly, who's always active on Twitter, uh, Steve reached out. And he gave his story. He's over there in the UK, I believe. And he said, hey, Davey, just catching your latest pod. Why Cleveland? Well, I watched the Major League movie on videotape and just liked the underdog story. I just selected the Indians as my team from that point. It was never going to be the Yankees or Red Sox. That's far too predictable. Back in 1998, baseball got some exceptionally late night TV coverage in the UK. And on very rare occasions, I'd pick up a Cleveland game. Cable TV eventually meant I got to see more games, and further down the line, thanks to the internet, I get to see and hear as many games as I can. Those West Coast games, though, I hear you, Steve. Those West Coast games are tough. Thanks to uh, podcasts like yours, I get to understand the statistical aspects of the game. Hope to get to Progressive Field one day. Maybe grab a beer with some fellow listeners if I do. Great podcast. Keep up the work. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for sharing your story. That's so funny that it's the movie Major League. Um... You know, that, and that's pre the Indians getting good. I could see some people picking up on those 90s Indians teams, right? Bell, Bayerga, Ramirez, Tomey, Lofton. But uh, the fact that the movie Major League got you, that is awesome. Uh, I, wonder, I wonder what the effect uh, sports movies have had on fandom like that, right? I wonder if movies like Major League have made a bunch of Indians fans. If... Uh, Boy, I'm trying to think of other. I'm, I'm trying to think of other baseball movies right now. I, I don't know. Mister Three Thousand with Bernie Mac has made other uh, Milwaukee Brewers fans. Uh, did uh, Damn Yankees make some? Who do you play for? The Washington Senators in that. Um, I wonder if other sports movies have had similar effects. Whether baseball, football movies, you know, uh, basketball movies. It feels like when it comes to sports movies, though. It's baseball movies, right? I mean, football does okay. Basketball does okay, but not like baseball movies. There's something about a baseball sports movie. Um, now I'm thinking of all the little kid ones. Angels in the Outfield. Did that make a bunch of L.A. Angels fans out there? Calif- I think they were California Angels at the time. Boy, they've gone through a lot. They just can't pick where they're from, can they? So yeah, so that's really cool that the movie is kind of what locked you in. And I agree, the Yankees and the Red Sox would have been far too predictable. So I'm glad you jumped on. And yeah, I hope you do make it to Cleveland. It's uh, it's a pretty cool city, if I do say so myself. I would, if you want to experience the winter months, you're more than welcome to. Uh, it's We don't have great skiing or anything like that here. So if you want to experience winter in the States, I would say you probably want to go for... Uh, for like a Colorado or something like that and get the skiing, the mountain experience. Uh, but yeah, Cleveland in the summer is a really, really fun city. We've got a little bit of a foodie scene going on here that's been developing for the last 
10, 15 years. We've got the lakefront. The beaches are nice now, right? The, the metro parks are incredible. The Cuyahoga Valley National Park is incredible. Uh, there is a lot going on in Cleveland during the summer. So I do recommend it. If you're an international listener and you get a chance to come to Progressive Field, you know, have a few dogs, watch a game, and then go experience Cleveland, it'd be a really fun little vacation. So, uh, all right. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for checking in. And any other fellow international listeners, I'd love to share your story too. So hit me up, uh, clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. All right, let's get into this game because it was a fun game. This was a good, competitive, fun baseball game. There were things happening uh, throughout. Uh, the pitching kind of got locked in from about the fifth until the ninth inning there uh, where they put up a bunch of zeros on the board, but there were still a ton of things going on. And the top storyline in this one, you probably think it's Karinchek in the ninth inning, and that's all anyone's going to talk about coming out of this game. But the storyline for me is the crazy first inning that the Cleveland Indians had. And uh, I cannot believe how many infield hits uh, the Cleveland Indians got here. Cesar Hernandez lines out to start. Ahmed Rosario singles into right field. He then steals second base. Um, Jose Ramirez grounds out to Makata. And then uh, Eddie Rosario strikes out swinging. And that should be the end of it. But it's a dropped third strike. And Eddie Rosario is able to beat it out to first base. Ahmed Rosario moves up to third. We have runners on the corner. So the White Sox give us a chance. The White Sox, man, how many times have you seen something like this, right? An error come back to bite a team in the rear end. And that's exactly what happens here because Josh Naylor, the next batter, this is where things get crazy. He hits a dribbler that sneaks past Dylan Cease's glove. I'm just, just dribbles. He just can't bend down and get this thing underneath the glove. It has an exit velocity of 48.1. It, uh, <laughs> it has a negative 41 degree launch angle. It goes six feet, six feet from home plate. That, that's how far this ball really went. Uh, and it just gets under his glove. Uh, Tim Anderson has to charge in and Tim Anderson scoops it, but double clutches. Watch the replay again. He actually loses the ball in the transfer for a second, gets it back in his bare hand, but it's just enough for Josh Naylor to beat it out for an infield single. Uh, Ahmed Rosario comes in to score, and Josh Naylor does what I love to do in old man softball, which is throw your arms out to the side, give yourself the safe call, and a lot of times you can trick the umpire into giving you that call. Now, a lot of times I actually am safe, and in this situation, Josh Naylor was absolutely safe. It was more a celebratory safe call than trying to steal one from an umpire, but I love to see it. I love doing it in softball. You can. You can influence the umpire if you go into that base with the right attitude. And uh, Josh Naylor didn't need it. He beats it out. And we dog on Josh Naylor all the time for his speed. He's slow. He really is. But just like uh, you know, we've seen from, from Rio Reyes, when you need to hustle, when you really need that extra gear, uh, it's probably what makes these guys Major League Baseball players, you know, as out of shape as some of them are. And I don't think anyone can claim that Josh Naylor is in fantastic shape. 
uh, compared to some of the other guys on the team, uh, especially the guy who's about to hit after him, Harold Ramirez, who's like a brick house out there. Uh, Josh Naylor gets it done and gets that first run across. So they gift us one run. Then Harold Ramirez, this was no normal infield single. Who knows where this ball would have ended up? He hits at 102.8 mile per hour exit velocity, but it ticks off um, it ticks off the glove of the pitcher Dylan Cease and again deflects to Tim Anderson. Again, Tim Anderson has to come roaring in. And again, the Indians beat it out for an infield single and another run comes across to score. So, insane first inning. You, you can't ever predict the ball is going to bounce this way. Uh, Jake Bowers is up next, and he actually hits a really nice shot out in the left field. It had an expected batting average of 620, but Vaughn comes in, Andrew Vaughn comes in and makes a beautiful sliding, diving catch, uh, kind of lays out to his side, gets under it, and catches this ball to end the rally for the Indians. So the Indians get it done in the dirtiest way possible. In the uh, in the silliest way possible, in the clutchest way possible, uh, they fought. They fought and scraped and get two runs across. And I mean dirty, not in like they cheated. I mean dirty in like uh, they had to get down and dirty and to get the work done. Right? They had to put in the hard work and get it done. So that is a fun first inning. And speed would continue to prove to be something that the Indians would need all night. Uh, Their other runs came uh, in the third inning. They're able to answer back um, after the uh, White Sox had taken the lead, which we'll talk about in a second. Harold Ramirez this time has a really nice line drive in the left field after Jose Ramirez had doubled to start that inning, and uh, he's able to drive him in in that third inning. So uh, that was nice to see uh, that they were able to get that run in with two outs, and it's a beautiful swing into left field. So that's a nice, easy run. Then in the fourth inning, Austin Hedges working a full count. And uh, after Bradley Zimmer had singled, Austin Hedges is able to put one out on the left field porch. Man, I'll tell you, this wall in Cleveland, these expected batting averages, this home run had an expected batting average of 340. Which means in most parks, this is an out. That 19-foot wall does pay some dividends here in Cleveland. So on a ball that has an expected batting average of 340, Austin Hedges has himself a two-run home run. And I actually wanted to look at the matchup on that one against him and Dylan Cease. Because Cease had struck him out, I believe, earlier in the game on a slider. And he goes to the slider a lot here. Gets him swinging down and away in the dirt almost on uh, on a slider way off the plate, throws two fastballs off the plate, misses high with him, so he goes back to the slider, gets him to swing on the right edge of the plate, away edge of the plate, paints a beautiful slider there that's a swinging strike, throws another one that's too far outside, can't get Austin Hedges to chase that one, and then throws him another one that definitely got way more of the plate than Dylan Cease was ever intending. It was a full count. So he knew he had to keep it as a strike, or at least close to a strike. The difference between those two sliders, the one that he swings through uh, for strike two and the one he hits the home run on, I mean, they're off horizontally by, uh, I mean, an inch or two, right? That sixth pitch is just an inch or two more in the heart of the plate. 
the spin on it, the spin on the swinging strike was at 28 RPMs or 2800 uh, RPMs. The slider that he hits for a home run is at 2768 RPMs, 2768 RPMs. Is that the difference? Is less than 100 rotations per minute the difference between how far that ball broke? and Austin Hedges being able to get on it and launch it for that home run. I mean, that's the type of data that they're breaking down now. Uh, The first slider he threw him for a swinging strike was at 2,887 RPM, so it was spinning even harder. The one he threw outside for a ball was spinning at 2,915 RPMs. So it was the slowest spin of any of those sliders. And is that the difference between the Austin Hedges home run? Now, I don't know the data enough to know if that is the difference. To me, it's the location. He kept those sliders away. He painted the outside edge with the fourth one. This one would sneak back into what is considered the heart of the plate. And that's the difference for me. But I wanted to give you the data. Maybe the data means it to you. You know, we'll I, I say it's something we'll keep an eye on, but you know, I don't know how many times we'll see Dylan cease after this and how many times we'll get to analyze the spin on sliders again. But it is fun. We got the data in front of us, so why not give it a look? Uh, and then the last run, I told you the speed was important. The last run would come across two batters later. After Cesar Hernandez flew out, Ahmed Rosario walks, and this is where the speed comes into play. So Ahmed Rosario is on first base. Jose Ramirez hits a double, a nice double into the left center field gap. This is not a ball that rolls all the way to the wall. This is not a ball that uh, takes a crazy bounce or something like that. This is a ball that is fielded pretty cleanly by Billy Hamilton in left center field. He does not have to range. He was shading him to right center. Shading him right of center. So he does have to go a long way, but Billy Hamilton's fast and recovers this ball in plenty of time. Ahmed Rosario was on his horse. And this is with one out here. You know, if he pulls into third base and they've got runners on second and third, that's not terrible. That's absolutely not terrible. There's plenty of chances for Eddie Rosario to bring that run into score. Ahmed Rosario, crack of the bat, was just off like a cannon. And I mean, it's no throw. He comes in safe and scores that sixth run, and uh, no challenge from the outfield. So maybe it's Billy Hamilton's arm out there. Maybe it was how far he was shading him, shading Jose Ramirez to right center. But uh, Jose Ramirez is able to walk in easily with a double, and Ahmed Rosario is able to come all the way around from first to score and speed once again. Speed is a very important thing from the Indians in the spots in the lineup where they can get it from. And Ahmed Rosario is delivering the speed this year. His uh, percentile rankings over on Baseball Savant, he's in the 97th percentile for sprint speed, sprint speed so far this year. That is incredible. That is an incredible value that you are getting from Ahmed Rosario, whose batting average continues to climb, whose slugging percentage and OPS continue to climb. That is huge from him. Now, there's other categories where he is not doing so great in percentile rankings. His expected slugging percentage is only in the 16th percentile. His uh, expected, his barrel percentage is in the 4th percentile. Not great. Not, not anywhere close to the top of the league. But his expected batting average is in the 68th percentile. It is in the red. So, 
uh, while they don't expect him to have many extra base hits here, and to be honest, he doesn't have a ton of extra base hits. Let's go to the actual stats. Um, he's got five doubles, three triples, and three home runs on the year. So he's not this massive home run hitter. Uh, he, he's shown pop throughout his career. 2019, he had a decent amount of home runs, but I don't think that's going to be his game. Uh, but the sprint speed is definitely going to be his game. If he can impact the game like that, that is huge from Ahmed Rosario. And I just thought it was interesting on his um, baseball savant page. If you look at the pitches against him, he's really doing well against fastballs. He's hitting 321 against fastballs, and he's seen them 52.9% of the time. 321. Uh, a 432 slugging percentage against fastballs. Now, he's not doing good against breaking balls. A 140 batting average against breaking balls, 240 slugging percentage, although he does have three extra base hits, including two triples against breaking balls, uh, sliders, curves, stuff like that. And then off-speed pitches, which is basically change-ups, um, He's actually doing better than he has in the past. In 2020, he was only a 206 hitter against changeups. This year, he's a 259 hitter, slugging 481. He's got a double, triple, and home run off of a changeup. So that is a huge change from 2020, where he slugged 294 against off speed pitches, against changeups. He had one extra base hit, a home run in 2020 against a changeup. This year, he's got a double, triple, and homer against changeups. So a little aside for Ahmed Rosario there, and uh, I'm loving it. I'm loving what we are seeing from him. All right, getting back into the storylines of this game, the other storyline, obviously, is the pitching. We talk hitting, we talk pitching. And uh, Shane Bieber had himself a really nice line, a really nice line. Seven innings pitched, five hits, three runs, only two earned, two walks, seven strikeouts, gave up. Uh, let's see here, seven hard hit balls, but was able to get the strikeouts. And really, the damage all came in that second inning. And uh, it was a crazy play. It was an absolute crazy play. He gets burned by Billy Hamilton, of all people. Is Billy Hamilton looking for a little revenge? I feel like he's hitting really well in this series against us. Uh, we left him out there to dry uh, in spring training. He gets scooped up by the White Sox because they need emergency help in the outfield. And I feel like he is taking it out against us. So uh, after Yermin Mercedes lines out to start that inning, he walks Jake Lamb. Walks will hurt. I mean, it's not a lot of walks on the day, right? He only walked two guys on the day, but one of them comes around to score here. Zach Collins with a nice single after Andrew Vaughn strikes out. So there's two outs. And Billy Hamilton comes up, and he lines one into right center field. Actually, he cranks one into right center field. We'll give him credit. 95.7 mile per hour exit velocity. It's considered a hard hit ball. And only a 310 expected batting average. But it goes 377 and one hops the wall. Now, here's where things get crazy. Because Josh Naylor makes a really good play on this ball. Takes it one hop, catches it barehanded, turns and gets it into the cutoff man really quickly. Billy Hamilton actually hesitates going around second base. He stops and looks to see where the ball is as he's rounding second base. Cesar Hernandez winds up, throws a one-hopper to the plate. It's, it's something Austin Hedges should come down with. 
It squirts out the top of his glove, though, as he's trying to apply the tag, as he's trying to swipe the tag on Zach Collins coming in to score. It pops out of his glove, and Billy Hamilton does not hesitate going around third base. He actually has to wrap himself around Jose Ramirez, who is just standing there watching the play. And Billy Hamilton comes in full speed and is able to score before Hedges can flip it back to Shane Bieber. He makes an incredible slide where he actually reaches around Bieber's foot tags the back of the plate, eats a face full of dirt for his troubles. Uh, he's got a nasty-looking cut on his lip, and his nose is all you know scuffed up from the dirt. But Billy Hamilton turns it into it in the side of the park, triple and advancing to home on an error for all intents and purposes in inside the park, a Little League home run. Uh, it's exactly a Little League home run because there's plenty of errors on those Little League home runs. So, yeah, so it's credited as – it's actually credited as a – double and then he advances the third on the throw and scores on the error is that the official scoring i guess it was they credited him with a double not a triple a double advances on the throw and scores on the error so uh that would be it though that would be the only damage from shane bieber and he was really making it work yesterday with the slider he threw the slider 36 times for a 39 percent csw 24 swings, 9 whiffs on the slider, and 9 foul balls. Only put 6 of those sliders in play. Threw the fastball next 31 times. Threw the knuckle curve 28 times. uh, Threw the changeup 7 times and a cutter once. Had a total 32% CSW on the day. And this is a departure. Looking at his his, uh, game logs over on fan graphs, He's thrown that fastball. He usually throws that fastball around 30 times in the low 30s. But the slider, his last outing against Detroit, he only threw the slider 13.6% of the time. Today, he was up to, or yesterday, he was up to 34%. He threw the curveball last time against Detroit 43.7% of the time, more than the fastball. Threw the curveball 27.2% last night. So, It was either a combination of the scouting report against the White Sox and experience against the White Sox. In fact, when was his last start against the White Sox? It was all the way back on April 30th, and that time he went with the fastball a ton. He did throw the slider more than the curveball in that, 29% to 27%, so maybe one more slider than curve. He went through the fastball 38% of the times in that start. Uh, In his first start against the White Sox, he threw the curveball a ton, 40%. 0.7%. So is this a situation of this is the third time I'm seeing these guys, I'm going to give them a little bit different, or is this just a situation where he was feeling the slider? Was he just feeling it? Was he getting it to drop in for strikes? Was he getting those guys to whiff on it and that said, you know what? I think this could work. I really think this could work. And if we go over to the illustrator, he was really pounding that slider down into the right. And obviously that's the way the slider breaks. Threw a bunch for strikes, threw a bunch in the strike zone to keep them honest, but there were a ton of sliders down and away for Shane Bieber, and he was also dropping the knuckle curve down there. He was keeping everything away from those right-handed hitters into those left-handed hitters and throwing the fastball up. Uh, Not as high as I would expect. He actually threw a lot of fastballs in the heart of the plate, Um, but challenging them with those fastballs and then dropping that slider and that curve down and away, and it got him seven strikeouts in seven innings. That's a pretty that's a pretty fair line for a starting pitcher in Major League Baseball for a good starting pitcher. 
that is a good day's work right there. Seven innings, seven strikeouts, only two earned runs, only five hits. And two walks. He limits the walks. One does come in to score. But other than that, limits the damage. Has one bad inning. So another great start from Shane Bieber. Now the bullpen, that's the final storyline here. And it's the thing you've been waiting for. Shaw gets himself in a little bit of trouble, but gets out of it in the eighth inning. Had a hit and a walk, but gets a strikeout on a big slider away to get out of it. And then Karinchek in the ninth inning, he's got a three-run lead. And he's just trying everything he can to get out of it. Ends up giving up four hits, only two hard-hit balls. Four hits, two runs, uh, a walk, which doesn't help. Uh, although I believe that was the in- that might have been the intentional walk. Let me go over to the uh, to the game summary here to the scoreboard. Yeah, I believe that was an intentional walk to Johan Moncada to load the bases for Jose Abreu. And um, you know, before any of those runs scored, he had gotten two outs. I believe. Uh, no, I believe Zach Collins had brought that run across with one out. He then struck out Adam Eden to get to two outs, and then gave up back to back singles to Tim Anderson. And Nick Magical. And uh, he was just throwing everything he could. And his CSW on those pitches, usually he's more fastball or more curveball. Usually he's feeling one or the other. He threw the fastball 13 times, the curveball 12 times, which leads me to believe that he was just searching for it. Only a 24% CSW. He only got three whiffs. He only got three called strikes. So he's really, really struggling out there. And if you look at the illustrator, he's just not locating anything. Um, usually what we see from James Karinchek is high fastballs, low curveballs. Occasionally he'll drop a curveball in for a strike, and he threw a ton of high curveballs uh, in this situation and was getting some strikes on them. Uh, but there's no pattern to this. It's a lot of low fastballs, and I know uh, the Jake Lamb single was a low fastball. The... Um, the uh, Nick Madrigal hit was a low fastball. So these guys were swinging at these low fastballs. He finally gets Jose Abreu actually on a low fastball, but this one is out and away. And that's how he ends the game with the bases loaded. And the team is pumped to get out of it. It feels like we cannot just have a nice, clean, happy win. It's always got to be these stressful situations. So, yeah, Karinchek gets out of it. I have no idea um, what is going on with him. He has struggled in his last two outings against the White Sox, uh, given up runs in his last two outings against the White Sox, actually given up runs in four of his last five outings, going back to the 23rd against the Twins. He had one good outing against Detroit and then gave up a run uh, the second time against Detroit. Uh... So, yeah, so he is struggling. He is giving up some home runs lately, and uh, he has got to find it. He has got to figure it out because we need him to be dominant. So let's see if the next time he's out there, he gets back to throwing those high fastballs and then dropping that low curveball because that was a combo that was definitely working for him. It'll be interesting to see... uh, who gets the save situation if we get into another save situation tonight or tomorrow? Uh, although the weather, to be honest, looks terrible. Uh, they announced that actually uh, instead of Eli Morgan starting today for the day game, it was actually going to be Mejia. Giancarlo Mejia was going to get the start today. 
I'm telling you, the weather looks terrible in Cleveland. It looks like it's supposed to rain all day. You can kind of feel it in the air this morning that some storms are coming. So we'll see if they get this game in. Uh, the next time the White Sox are in Cleveland is all the way at the end of September. So they do they just stack a doubleheader then? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do, but it would be t- it'll be tough. If the weather breaks today and they're able to get the game in, it will be Mejia starting, and Eli Morgan will be coming out of the bullpen. And then they haven't announced any starters for this weekend series against the Baltimore Orioles. So we'll see We'll see what they do. They do have an off day on Thursday, but I don't know where the White Sox go. And to be honest, the weather isn't looking any better on Thursday. So there's three off days in the next week or so. So they've got this Thursday off. They've got Monday off after the Baltimore series. They do a two-game series in St. Louis and then have an off day coming home before they face Seattle and Baltimore again. So three off days really gives them a chance to rest pitchers, to stick with the starters they have, Bieber and Savali. Uh, You know, do they rest Henches? Do they bring McKenzie back for a start? How long does Mejia go? How long can Quantrill go? There's a lot of options to mix and match here. And the Indians have the pitching to do it. I'm Again, I'm not panicking about the Indians pitching going forward, especially with all these off days to mix in here. So once they get into that Seattle series, then they have a long stretch before another off day, and that might test the starting pitching there. So that's all your storylines. The Indians come out on top. It was a fun game. It was a really fun baseball game. And uh, they're able to come out on top. At least they have a split for the series set up. And hey, if it get, gets rained out, that means they've won the series. And uh, it's been back and forth against the White Sox. It really has so far this season. I think the Indians are up 6-5 to five on the season series um, so far. So it's good when you could take it to your, the first place team in your division. And it really helps gain some ground in the division. So if the Indians play, we'll be back to talk about it. If the Indians don't play... Then uh, you get an off day from me. I'll be back the next time the Indians play a game the following morning. So uh, thanks for joining me again on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final from Progressive Field. It's the Indians 6, the White Sox 5. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. If you've got those stories, if you've got your Cleveland connection stories, email the show, clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. We'll share your story on air and really appreciate, you know, and build the community of Cleveland Baseball Mornings. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voice voicemail for the show. Tell me all your thoughts on the team, on Ahmed Rosario's speed, on Josh Naylor getting safe calls out on the bases. I'll respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. <laughs>